Your time is the most valuable thing you have. You can always make more money, but you can never make more time. You will live the rest of your life and die and never get back the time you spent promoting your book. On the other hand, why spend your precious time writing a book that no one will read because they don't know about it because you didn't spend the time to market it? In this episode, you're going to learn how to market your book in less time. If you put this into practice, you will have more time to write your next book or to spend more time with your family. Please use these powerful principles you're about to learn for good. I'm Thomas Sumstadt, the CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. This is the podcast for authors who don't want to waste their time doing things that don't work. And to understand how we can work less and still get the same results, we need to talk about a man named Wilfred Pareto and his discovery. See, back in the 1800s, Pareto discovered that 20% of the population made 80% of the money. And once he noticed this 80-20 distribution, he started to notice that it appeared all over society, not just with money and not even just with human activities. Sometimes it would appear in other areas as well. Even meteorites land on the surface of the planet in an 80-20 distribution. It applies to his pea plants. 20% of the plants produced 80% of the peas, and it still applies today where 80% of women on Tinder pursue the top 20% of most attractive men. This 80-20 rule is very famous. Chances are you've heard about it. But you may not know that this rule also applies to marketing books. Authors tend to get 80% of their sales from only 20% of their efforts. What this means is that 80% of what you're doing to promote your book is more or less wasted. That is time that is not getting a good return. And once you understand this 80-20 breakdown, you are prepared to start saving yourself a lot of time. This is one of the number one most frustrating things for authors is how much time it takes to promote their books. And I'm going to alleviate that frustration for you here in five simple steps that will help you get the same results with far less time. And the first step is to measure. As John Wenemacher said back in the 19th century, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. If John Wanamaker had was able to better measure his advertising, I suspect he would have realized that it was actually 80% of his money that was being wasted. And since he was measuring, he would have known which 80% it was. If you can't measure your marketing, you can't find out what's working and what's not. This is why so many traditionally published authors are exhausted by marketing, because they don't know what's working, because they don't have the data. It's also why so many book marketing myths are spread around the author community, because no one knows what they're talking about, because they're trying things, and they don't know if those things that they're trying are doing any good. This is, in my opinion, one of the biggest disadvantages of traditional publishing. Traditional publishers don't share real-time sales data with their authors. Sometimes they don't even share it with their own internal marketing teams. I spoke with one marketing executive at a major publisher, and he got his sales data once a week from the sales department across the hall. Yes, this was one of those companies where the sales department and the marketing department were not getting along, and he did not have access to real-time sales data, much less any of his 
authors. And what's so sad about this is that this is 2020 and there's no excuse for this. It's not like somebody has to compile the sales data by hand, you know, with an abacus. Many of the major royalty management solutions offer real-time author dashboards. So the author could see in real time how many sales they're getting. It's not that the publisher can't share the sales data. It's that they don't want their authors to know that their marketing is not working. And if your marketing is working, you want to show it off to your stakeholders. You want to show your boss that it's working. You also want to show the other stakeholders like the authors you are marketing. While you can't get sales data from your publisher, if you're traditionally published, there is a workaround where you can get it yourself, at least from Amazon. And it's with something called Amazon Associates Tracking IDs. And this is such a powerful tool. Even indie authors can use it to track different channels. I want to break down very briefly how to use Amazon Associates tracking IDs to track your marketing. So uh, the first baby step is to sign up for the Amazon Associates program. So it only takes a few minutes and you only have to do it once. I'll have a link to do it in the show notes. Baby step two is to create a tracking ID. Amazon now gives you 100 tracking IDs and I'll have a link in the show notes for where to create them inside of Amazon. Back when I was a kid, we only had 50. Now we have 100, which is a lot. (laughs) I don't know any author who's doing 100 different marketing activities to track. Baby step three is to create affiliate tracking links to your own book. So what you're doing here is you're creating a tracking ID. So the tracking ID, let's say you're calling it Twitter and then you create an affiliate link, and then you only use that link on Twitter. And this way you can see exactly how many people click the link and how many people go on to buy the book after having clicked the link. So baby step four is to use different tracking links with different promotion activities. So you wanna put these links, different links, on places like your blog, your website, Facebook, Twitter. If you're doing a blog tour, maybe use a link just for that blog tour, etc. If you use tracking links on all of your efforts after book launch, contact me. (laughs) I'd love to hear what your results were. And I imagine our listeners would as well. Um, Baby step five is to check your Amazon Associate sales reports. So Amazon Associates will give you reports and you can sort those reports based off of tracking IDs. You can see right there, oh wow, Twitter brought in zero sales, Facebook brought in two sales, and my email campaign brought in 50 sales or whatever your numbers are happen to be. Where tracking links work best, they work best on your website, they work well on social media, your blog, advertising, now you can advertise pretty easily using uh, Amazon IDs as long as you don't uh, target certain keywords that are forbidden, and email marketing. Now I should say Amazon prefers that you don't put the affiliate link in the email itself, but instead to link to your website where there's a link with the affiliate link that they click on. That said, they have not policed this uh, very well if your list is smaller than five or 10,000 people. I haven't heard many authors getting a warning from Amazon, but do realize they don't like it when you email out an affiliate link. Now, there are some places where tracking links don't work or they don't work very well. So one of those is media interviews on TV, radio, podcasts, etc. And the reason is, is that um, people aren't going to go to your specific link. The link is pretty cryptic. No one's going to type it in. And the capitals matter. That Each affiliate tracking link is kind of like a password. It's very difficult to type in. No one's going to do it. And what people really are going to do is they're just going to search for your book title 
in Amazon or Barnes & Noble or their bookstore of choice, and they're going to buy it that way, which is why having real-time data is so important, right? If you do a big interview on a podcast, you want to know how many sales came in that day and whether or not that podcast drove sales. <laughs> and as a traditionally published author, there's no way to know that, which is really frustrating. Another place where tracking links don't work as well is offline promotion. In fact, it's against Amazon's rules to put it on things like flyers, bookmarks, business cards, etc. Uh, even if you did put a tracking link in those places, again, people don't want to type in a cryptic uh, tracking URL. Another area they don't work as well is influencer marketing. Uh, influencers, the big ones, tend to use their own affiliate links because affiliate links, these tracking links, also give you a commission. So that you don't just use them to get data. You actually get money from Amazon for using these tracking links. Uh, and then, of course, word of mouth, any kind of viral spread. You're not going to be able to track that with your tracking links. Uh, and I should also point out here that Amazon changes the rules regarding affiliate links every couple of months. So make sure to check the current rules if you want to keep from getting hassled by Amazon or just don't contact Amazon customer service. In my experience, working with thousands of authors interacting with Amazon Associates, they don't check anything you do until you contact them. So don't ever contact Amazon with a question if you can avoid it. Uh, and never send them a link to your website because <laughs> they they will only hurt you if they know what your website is. Uh, they, they will never do anything to benefit you uh, knowing your website. There are some other ways to track your marketing. I've got a couple of episodes on other ways to track your marketing. One is episode 191, How to Track Your Book Promotion. It covers how to create a marketing dashboard and many other ways to track your marketing other than just Amazon affiliate links and uh, ways that don't even require you to be on Amazon. And then we also have episode 212, How to Use Marketing Data to Sell More Books. So I encourage you to listen to both of those episodes if you're not doing any measuring right now, especially if you're traditionally published and you don't have any kind of real-time sales dashboard. <laughs> you can learn how to make your own uh, with bailing wire and duct tape, but it's still better than nothing. Um, now, the other thing that's good to do, you don't just want to track your tactics and your strategies, but you also want to track your time. How much time are you spending on your various promotional efforts? You know, have you ever worked all day long and then at the end of the day wondered where your time went? Well, if that is the case, that is a bad sign. It's a sign that some of your time may have been wasted. So how much time do you spend on Facebook? How much time do you spend on YouTube? How much time do you spend in apps like Scrivener or Microsoft Word? If you want to know for sure, there's a free app you can get for your computer called Rescue Time. And it will tell you exactly how much time you're spending on each kind of activity, whether it's writing or social media or communication. It gives you a wonderful report at the end of every week. Sometimes it is a report that will make you weep because you thought you were spending a lot more time on writing than you really are. In fact, I've worked with a lot of authors and convinced many of them to use rescue time, and almost without exception, they're surprised how little time is going into writing and how much time was being wasted, and they had no idea. And there's a principle in marketing that what gets measured gets managed. It's a kind of a business truism. That You go to business school, you'll hear it quite a bit. Measurement is really important. It's also a principle of accounting and of management, actually. So all of my business school classes talked about measuring, measuring, measuring. And all you have to do sometimes is just measure how you spend your time, and you'll already start to spend your time better. Just the presence of a researcher with a clipboard on the factory floor causes the factory to run more efficiently. It's magical. What gets measured 
gets managed. And if you don't want to use rescue time, I have a list of alternative tools in the show notes. There are a bunch of different tools that will help you keep track of where your time is going. So between the combination of tracking your time and tracking your tactics, you will suddenly know what's working and what's not and what's expensive in terms of hours and what is inexpensive in terms of minutes. So that's step one, measure. Now let's talk about step two, prune. Now that you're tracking your marketing efforts and your time on your computer, that is great. And after you do this for a long time, it's common for many authors to be stunned how little sales come in through social media. In fact, it can be very disheartening to see that that Facebook following you spent years of work building only results in a handful of trackable book sales. It's just Facebook is not a good investment in that regard. I see it over and over again. The reason that you track, though, is that you might be the exception. You might be an Instagram celebrity and you have a passionate social media following and they run out to buy your book as soon as they see you tweet about it or post it to whatever social network you're popular on. Every author, genre, and book is different. So what you find works for you and doesn't work for you will be specific to you. What the 80-20 rule tells us is that you will find some strategies underperform and a few overperform. And what those are, it's important to know what they are. It may be that for you, the only thing that successfully sells books is you getting in front of crowds on stage. And you're really good at speaking and nothing else is working. Well, if that's the case, it's time to start pruning. Whatever you find, it's time to start pruning. And I'm not going to dance around this point. Pruning is painful. Cutting dead branches away is easy, but cutting healthy branches that aren't producing as much fruit as other healthy branches hurts. Sure, it's easy to identify mobile games on your phone as a waste of time, but pruning away that activity that was psychologically very satisfying. I was getting lots of likes and social validation, but I wasn't getting very many sales. Cutting that away is painful. It also means acknowledging that the time you spent doing that activity was time that was not a good investment. And some authors are so unwilling to admit that their time on social media is a poor investment, they keep doing it anyway. They prefer to close their eyes and blunder forward than to make a change that would actually make a difference. Don't be that kind of author. Um, You have the opportunity right now to change the direction of the rest of your life. Cutting activities that bring in some sales, while not many, hurts. But remember, your time on this earth is your most precious resource. Every minute you waste on these ineffective strategies is time you're not spending on more effective strategies. It's also not time you're spending writing your next book or spending time with your family. So measure your time and then prune the activities that are not performing well. Which leads us to step three, invest. So once we've cut the ineffective activities, we now have a time surplus on our hands. Think of this like money. You've just gotten a windfall of money, an inheritance of money, and now it's time to invest it wisely. So what do you do with this extra time? If you cut and cut, hopefully you cut 80% of what you're doing, ideally, you now have a ton of time on your hands. There are three areas that I recommend that you invest your precious time into. The first is education. The biggest excuse authors give for not going through courses, reading craft books, or listening to writing podcasts is that they don't have time, right? It doesn't cost you anything to listen to this podcast. Novel Marketing Podcast is free. Of course, you can support us on Patreon if you want, but it doesn't cost you anything 
uh, to listen. Cost me a lot to make the podcast, but it doesn't cost you anything to listen. And now that you have time on your hands, newfound time riches, you can listen to more podcasts, maybe this podcast and another podcast, or you can read more books on writing, or you can spend time going through that course you bought last week. Uh, Or if you're looking for a course to get started that kind of guides you through the process of getting an education and becoming a best-selling author, I recommend our course, The Five-Year Plan to Becoming a Best-Selling Author. It walks you through quarter by quarter exactly what you should be doing, reading, learning, and writing in order to become a best-selling novelist. It's a five-year plan to becoming an overnight success. So uh, that's one thing to invest in, is in education. The second thing I would recommend that you invest in is in your writing, right? The carpenter doesn't just build the house. The house builds the carpenter. The more books you write, the better of a writer you become, especially if you invest in reading books on craft and taking courses to improve as you go. For many authors, they just need more practice to get good. They're too attached to that first book or two that they wrote. They didn't write the short stories to get good, and they need to just move on and keep writing. The skill of writing is a little bit like the skill of tennis or golf. There's no substitute for deliberate practice. The top tennis players and the top golf players still have coaches to help their practice be deliberate. So how do you make your practice deliberate in writing? You read the craft books, and then you put those books into practice, and then you try to find some way to get feedback. If you write fiction, I recommend you spend a lot of time writing short stories. It's a lot easier to get feedback on a short story than it is to get feedback on a full-length novel. And if you write nonfiction, get good at blogging. The beautiful thing about blogging is that you have all these wonderful analytics to see if people are reading your blog, if they're engaging with your blog. You can have comments if people are confused or if they don't understand something. It's a very vibrant way to improve your writing, but you have to study it. I see a lot of authors who write really boring blog posts. You got to learn how to write good blog posts. And we have courses on that. We have episodes on that. It is a learnable skill. There's also a lot of books on it at your local library or at your Amazon bookstore. The third area I recommend that you invest your time in is rest. Invest in rest. Uh, The writing life is a marathon. It takes most authors 10 or more years to find the success they are hoping for. Uh, The five-year plan cuts that in half, but it's still five years of work. There's no shortcuts to success in this business. There's only traps and charlatans. So the only way to make it is to have a sustainable pace. That means rest. Find the things that recharge your batteries and then do those things. So for me, it's spending time with my kids. I have a toddler right now and a little baby, and they're getting more and more fun to play with. When I take them on a walk, I always feel better afterwards than I did at first. I'm actually finding that I enjoy reading children's books, which I was not anticipating as a single man. And believe it or not, you can actually write more by resting more. Rest can supercharge your writing if you allow it. And we actually have a blog post all about that. Okay, so you've measured your time. You've pruned your time. You've reinvested your time. Now it's time for step four refine your time. Sometimes you can't just stop doing something. So what do you do? You refine your time. And the best technique here is to triple dip or double dip. One powerful time management principle is to make your work count for triple. 
like writing a short story to help improve your craft, like I already talked about, then using that short story as a reader magnet to build your email list, and then later selling it in an anthology. You get to use that short story three different times, and you only had to write it once. Or if you write nonfiction, take blog posts from your blog, turn them into a book. This way, the time you spent writing the blog post counts for two different pieces of content. Or like what I do with this podcast, the notes that I use for this podcast will be turned into a blog post. And then if I turn those blog posts into a book, I get a triple dip. I get a podcast, a blog, and a book all from one content creation event. Now you can't just copy and paste. You have to adapt your content for the different formats. If you're reading the blog post version of this, you'll notice that it's a little bit more focused. I don't go on the tangents that I do on the uh, podcast version. I also go into a little bit more depth in the podcast version, like I'm doing right now. And right now I'm off my script and this won't be in the blog most likely. But this is uh, what you want to do. You want to adapt. And if this were later turned into a book, it would be even more refined even more heavily edited, probably wouldn't have as many images. The blog post version of this podcast episode is going to have screenshots from Amazon on how to create tracking links. There's no screenshots in the podcast version, and there probably wouldn't be screenshots in the book version either. And this is another advantage of substantive content over social media. Social media content tends to last for only a moment and then it's gone. But substantive content like a podcast or a blog or a short story is not only evergreen, but it can be repurposed over and over again. Triple dipping or double dipping is really powerful principle of time management, but it's a really bad practice for food in the days of COVID. Uh, another principle of refining your time is to study time management. Uh, around the first of each year, we bring in a productivity expert to talk about how best to use your time. So we actually, this is one of those topics that we hit at a very consistent pace here on the podcast. So I'm not going to give you a lot of time management tips other than to suggest that you listen to these free episodes. So those are episode 221, New Year's Productivity for Authors with Joanna Penn. Episode 170, Your Best Year Yet with Susan May Warren. Episode 152, How to Write 5,000 Words an Hour with Chris Fox, a particularly popular uh, productivity episode. And then episode 117, How to Plan a Successful New Year with Tracy Higley. Uh, So each one of these episodes is a different expert giving a different advice on a different aspect of productivity. They all have kind of a New Year's theme, uh, but there's nothing about January that's magical other than people are a little bit more likely to think about New Year's resolutions and planning about that time. But you can start managing your time better at any time of the year. I give you permission. So uh, we also have some other helpful productivity and time management episodes that are a little more focused. So episode 67, how to keep your inbox at zero and have more time to write. It's an email processing episode. It's very popular. Uh, Episode 94, how to use the ancient power of discipline to accomplish your goals. Episode 204, focus, pruning, and while novel marketing is about to change. That's the episode about pruning where James Rubart announced that he was leaving the show. So we practice what we preach here on the podcast, at least we try to. And I will say I pruned a lot of things. It was very painful. And you can hear about it in the moment back at episode 204. And then finally, episode 233, how to build your platform during your social distancing. So this was an episode I originally created kind of assuming, hey, we're all locked down. Here's how you can make the most of that time. But you know what? You don't have to be locked down to make the most of your time. You can use that time anytime. 
we've also got several blog posts on productivity. We've got one on how to create a writing schedule that works for you, one on how to quit wasting time, and we have 50 more blog posts on productivity. <laughs> Back when uh, Author Media was just a blog before we brought in the podcast, productivity was one of our most popular topics. We have a lot of productivity posts to help you. And if you did your pruning correctly, you now have time to read blog posts on productivity, which you may not have had before. Okay, now it's time for the final step. Step five, enjoy. So if you put the four earlier steps into practice, you measured, you pruned, you invested, and you refined, you now are able to waste less time on marketing while getting similar or even better results. So here's some quick math. If you cut 80% of what you're doing that resulted in 20% of your results and then double what the amount of time you put into that critical 20% that was creating 80% of your results, you will increase your effectiveness by 60%. You'll now be selling 160% more books while simultaneously spending 60% less time on marketing, giving you 60% more time to spend on what really matters. Yes, I know that was math. I break it down in the blog post version and you're welcome to check my numbers. But the principle remains, and that is if you cut the non-crucial, double the crucial, you will still have a lot of time left over. And this is a riches of time that you can then enjoy because this is your most precious resource. I remember when I was a young man, I listened to an old man give a sermon, and he talked about time. And this was actually, I didn't know it at the time, none of us did, but this was the last sermon he was going to give, and he passed away just a few weeks or months later. He said, time is like a wheelbarrow. When I was young, I had a wheelbarrow full of gems. And now that I am an old man, I see that I have only a few gems left, and my time has become very precious to me, and I wish I hadn't have wasted it when I was a young man. And as a young man, I heard that, and I was like, oh, I need to spend my time better, which is why I've tried to study time management throughout my life, ever since I heard that talk as a young man. And I encourage you, regardless of how old you are, to treasure the time that you have left. Because during a pandemic, we don't know, right? COVID could come and take you away, or, or you could get hit by a bus. We don't know how many gems we have in the wheelbarrow. We only know how we spend the gem we're holding right now. And that gem is called today. How you spend your time is what makes the difference between authors who make it and authors who don't make it. Authors who give up before they finally see that breakthrough success. You can burn yourself out doing everything the hard way. Or you can follow these steps and have a transformed writing career. Speaking of a transformed writing career, our sponsor today is the five-year plan for becoming a best-selling author. I crafted this plan with best-selling author and award-winning Hall of Fame author James L. Rubart uh, to be a step-by-step guide to help you through the first critical five years of your writing career. You're going to learn each quarter what to do to succeed, what mistakes to avoid, and how to avoid the pitfalls that hijack the success of most authors. You can learn more about the five-year plan at authormedia.com forward slash courses. Patrons of the Novel Marketing Podcast get 50% off the plan. So if you're going to buy the plan, make sure to click the link in Patreon first to activate the patrons-only discount. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Jess Letterman, author of Heart Set Free. 
Yura sets out with her son on an epic cross-country quest to win back her husband and destroy the woman who stole her heart. So thank you, Jess, for being a patron of the podcast. If you would like to learn more about how you can become a patron and help keep us on the air, we have a link in the show notes. And if you can't afford to become a patron but still want to help the show, you can. Just share this episode with one stressed-out writer you know who you think would find it helpful. Now, during this pandemic, uh, one of the things I've noticed is the power of books to help in times of crisis. I was talking with an author, and she's like, are authors even needed right now during the pandemic? And I was like, yes, more than ever, because new movies aren't being made. New TV shows are not being made. Even music is being hard to produce as the uh, musicians are stuck at home and locked away from their recording studios. But as an author, you can still write your book uh, from the safety of your own home. And you know, we live here in Austin, Texas, which is currently experiencing a COVID outbreak. And between that and the original lockdown and our quarantine from having a new baby, my 20-month-old toddler has spent the last seven or eight months in lockdown. Mercy has only played with other toddlers two or three times since Christmas. And as I record this, it is mid-July and there are no toddlers to play with in sight. It's about a third of her life that she spent with almost no other toddler contact. And I've noticed that lately the children's books that she's picking up for me to read to her all have the same theme. And the theme is friendship. She's a super social girl. Before lockdown, she would smile at every stranger she saw at the grocery store. She was quite the celebrity baby because she was just so quick to smile and to greet strangers. Uh, But now she can't see anyone because everyone's staying home. Even if we would go out for play, none of the other parents are going out for play. Everyone is staying home and staying safe. And friendship is something that for my daughter, she's only experiencing in books right now. If she didn't have all of these children's books, how would she learn about friendship? Right right now, it's only something she can experience in a book. And hopefully soon, she can learn about it in real life. But in the meantime, thank God for children's books. And what is true about my toddler is also true with a lot of adults as well. As people are locked down, and I realize different parts of the country are locked down differently, and there are rolling uh, lockdowns, Uh, just as I predicted in my predictions post. Uh, But as people are locked down, the characters of the books they're reading are becoming some of their closest friends. And that is a place of privilege. It's also a place of a lot of responsibility for you as an author. Make sure the characters that you're creating in your stories are friends worth spending time with. Because it may be the thing that gets somebody through some of the darkest days of their life. You've been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. To find the blog version of this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit novelmarketing.com. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.